Well, good morning again, everybody. I hope that your week has gone well, and glad that you're able to join us today. Um, you know, in the various forms of ministry that I've been a part of in my life, I've been able to use a lot of different tools at my disposal, a lot of different things I can make into analogies. Uh, throughout the week, the different interactions that I have with people, I always warn people, when you're around me, be careful because anything you say or do can be used in a sermon because it's very profitable at times. And my kids take the brunt of that the most times because it's just too easy. But you know, as a youth pastor, I, would always, I always use different analogies to try to get different points across, different analogies. Um, and one of the best games that I've used in the past that I find translates well into the points that you're making is the game Simon Says. And you probably recall the game. It's about listening to instructions and being obedient to what you hear. For teens, assuming that they play the game, they can go pretty far because they're a little bit older and they can listen to the instructions. They don't fall for the obvious traps as, as some of the younger kids may. And it can be kind of funny to try to trip them up try to do some rapid-fire things or see what they, they miss here. All designed to whittle it down to one person and a winner. And, you know, and since I've become a pastor, this game has always taken on a different meaning for me in terms of how I relate that to our understanding of God, how I understand that to our understanding of shepherds, understanding how sheep will listen to the voice of their shepherd. And there's all kinds of different YouTube videos out there that you can watch that go through these examples where different people try to come up and call the sheep to them, and it doesn't work. But then when the actual shepherd does, you can see the sheep coming to run after them. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to see and to study. And you know, this idea of shepherding and what it means to the people in the Middle East is something that's easy to connect to our understanding of Jesus, especially as he says that he is the good shepherd. And it's a concept that has been around in many different civilizations, not just the Jewish culture. We see how then Jesus emphasizes that to Peter, to take care of his sheep, to take care of his flock. And then what does that mean for us today? We see how it is a charge that is full of responsibility and care. And today, we are going to finish up with this section in Ephesians 4. And we're going to talk about shepherds and teachers. So I'm going to read over the larger section of Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11 today. <clears throat> begins this way. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to, measure, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, as we go to your word, Lord, I pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to see your truth, to see your beauty, to see more of who you are. And Lord, that we can take these words to apply them to our lives. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so again, today we're going to be going over shepherds and teachers. Um, Now, with these terms, there is some debate within these. Uh, I guess evangelist was probably the only one that there wasn't really much controversy with. Um, And there's a couple of different ones. The first debate within this is kind of easy to understand. It doesn't have a lot of ramifications, but it revolves around the Greek construct of the term uh, with teachers, Um, understanding that whether or not this is one office or two offices, based on how the Greek construct is. Um, The second debate is in how many translations this term shepherd is translated as pastor. And this is a loaded term that comes with a lot of baggage. So today we're going to discuss these two issues, looking a little bit deeper at the offices while at the same time keeping in mind the purpose of the offices the gifts of the people that Jesus has called to build up the body, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, so very quickly, let's look at whether or not this is two offices. Now, as I said, the debate revolves around the Greek terminology and the construction of the phase. Teacher is tied to shepherd by a different conjunction. Um, With the first four terms, it's the same construction that's used with a different conjunction and a article or pronoun as well. So when you get to teacher and it's a different word, some people believe then that it's tied to shepherd. With the first four, the article and pronoun kind of draw out the meaning of, and to some, or for some he gave apostles, and another he gave um, prophets and another evangelists, and another shepherds, and then you just have a conjunction, and then teachers. Now, that first conjunction that's used is day, D-E, and it oftentimes can mean but, and it's a very often used at the beginning of a sentence type of word. The word chi is what's in between shepherds and teachers, and that is oftentimes just used as and to connect the, th- the phrases or the words. So again, with the better understanding of Greek, it might go towards that this is one office. Could this be two distinct offices? Sure. Just like we said in Acts 8, how all apostles are evangelists, but not necessarily all evangelists are apostles. All shepherds are teachers, but not necessarily all teachers are shepherds. However, maybe they should be considered that way in terms of the care that they take with what they're teaching and who they're teaching. Understanding the, the definitions, again, is very important. Probably this phrase here in Ephesians describes the overseers of the local churches. 
um, who pastor, who shepherd, who teach. Again, kind of going back into the definitions. But I think it would also be dependent upon the local situation and the gifted people that are there. Maybe you only have a teacher. Maybe you only have a shepherd. But again, there's crossover in all of these things. But this brings us to the second debate, and that is the term pastor. So to start off with this, as with the other times that we've gone through these terms, I would love for you to spend a few minutes on your bulletins and define pastor. Who or what is a pastor? With the other terms, I wasn't as concerned, but I will be collecting these after the service. <laughs> and remember, this is research. This is for posterity. So be honest. Now tell me, how do you feel? It's always good when you can quote Princess Bride. So continue to work on that definition, writing down your thoughts. Um, as I've been doing this through the time, I wanted you to write down your thoughts initially because that's what you're bringing into it. You know, you can always write down things as you're, we're going through, different scripture verses and things like that to help you through it as well. Now the interesting thing within this debate is that the term pastor, as it's translated in some translations, is not the actual word. It is shepherd. The term pastor is actually not in the Bible. It's not a biblical word. So how we understand pastor then is a collection of tradition, experiences, and expectations. And at least within our denomination at this time, because the term is shepherd and not pastor, it is being used as an argument within the discussion of the roles of women in ministry and how, whether or not, they're able to have the title pastor. Now, as I said, the term here is shepherd, and I'm not going to throw out the term pastor because it means a lot of things to different people. I find that a lot of times it's within the expectations that we have differences, um, because that varies from person to person. And I will make a case for our modern understanding of pastor as we walk through a bunch of scripture here in a minute, um, as you're able to follow along and look at those connections. But as we start off, I think that we need to first dissect and understand shepherd, because that's the term that's here. So a shepherd was somebody that the people would be very familiar with in this time frame. Um, the principal duty of the shepherd was to see that their animals were cared for, that they had enough food and water, 
that they were protected. He was to guard their sh- this sheep because they were easy prey to the different predators that are, were around. There were thieves that would come in and possibly carry a few sheep away. So at night, um, the sheep were often kept in these enclosures that the shepherd would build off of you know, tangled up brush, um, different bushes, maybe some rocks. It would be ideal if you could find a cave. And then the shepherd would sit in the entryway, protecting and being able to say or see what would come in and out. Um, as he did this, he was concerned for the condition of his flock. You know, he, was, he would make sure not to overdrive them, to always be around the good food, to move around as needed. If a lamb got injured, he would carry it in his arms or on his shoulders. We see that in Isaiah chapter 40. The work of the shepherd essentially then was to keep the flock intact. He would always be counting each animal as it passed underneath his hand. Um, And and as I said before, this this picture uh, of a shepherd was easily then transferred over to leadership in various forms. Many other civilizations had this same analogy that they would use. And for us, it's easy to transition this to God. You know, probably the most famous one passage that we can think of is in John 10, where Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. And then in John 21, as he he calls out to Peter to take care of his flock. But Jesus is also called a shepherd in Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter 2. And in our passage in Ephesians 4, this term is being employed for the church leaders. Now, the function of a shepherd is described in several places of Scripture. And I've got all of them on slides today. If you want to try to flip through, you're going to have to be quick, but you can do it. Or you can just write down the passages as well. But we're going to start in Acts 20 today. Um, And as we're going through these passages, again, I want you to connect the terms of leadership As we go through the different ones, we're going to see how it progresses in terms of function of this role. Now, in Acts 20, it's also interesting because Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders uh, of their church. So, again, it's a little bit more pertinent in terms of what he is saying. So, in Acts 20, beginning in verse 28, Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, as I said, you combine that with the charge that Peter's given to tend to, to feed Jesus' flock, his sheep, and his lambs. Three times he is given that charge. So when we look at how you are to shepherd, when we look at what shepherds did, we can understand that it, they are to exercise leadership through nurturing, through caring, through guidance. You know, this was the type of care that was promised back in the days of Jeremiah. Back in the days of exile, God says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You know, this is the expectation that the people of God are to have of its shepherds. 
But what was, it, what was the reality during Jesus' time? During Jesus' ministry, he addressed the lack of shepherds. And this was his comment that he made in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So there's a great importance and a great need for the laborers in the field, for the shepherds to be taking care of the flock. So it should come of no surprise when we see shepherd listed as an office here in Ephesians 4. With the understandings of the people of this time and what they would understand, we can begin to formulate a job description of what these early leaders did and how it centers around nurturing care, and guidance. So a few New Testament passages for us, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfaded, unfading crown of glory. So we see how this is a charge to the elders of the individual churches to shepherd the flock. They are to exercise oversight, Oversight has that same root in the Greek as overseer. We saw that as well in Acts 20, and we'll see that in a couple of passages coming up. So we want to begin to make these con connections of who the elders are and what they are to do. They are to shepherd the flock, not under compulsion, not under shameful gain, but they are to be examples to the flock, understanding that there's a chief shepherd who is coming back. So again, we begin to make these connections to shepherds and elders. Moving on to Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery, or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, you know, within this passage, we can see a combination of a shepherd-teacher role where the elders are to be able to teach. We see how these offices are to be put in place by Titus as instructed by Paul, kind of making Titus more of a church planner, more of a missionary, so to speak, as he evangelizes. 
and they are to be above reproach in many areas. I think that this goes back to what James teaches and what we read in the Didache early on, um, pronouncing how they, they need to be doers of the word as well, giving a good example, while at the same time being able to give instruction on what they've been taught. We also see how in this passage, the elders are also called overseers, stewards of what God has given. And then lastly, in 1 Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And again, we see some connections here between the overseer to the elders that have been mentioned in the previous passages. Hopefully we can make, make the connection of the work of a shepherd as we've unpacked this term a little bit more. So within our understandings of this then, how do we relate the things of a shepherd to the definitions that we wrote down of a pastor? Do they line up? Are there other things that we've included? Within the understanding of these verses, I think that we can see how we can also all have shepherding roles in various aspects through our lives, meaning that we can all be caring, nurturing, and guiding. But there's a larger responsibility for those who are called to the office of shepherd for God's people. They are the elders within the body. And right alongside of them are those who are called to teach. Again, is it one in the same office? It's hard to say. The elders here at Harvest have all taken the calling that we have just read very seriously. From when I was brought in, they had said that they were carrying on the pulpit supply because they believe it's their duty as an elder to be able to teach the people of God. And they fill the pulpit when I'm gone. Now, I've also told them that they always should have a sermon in their back pocket ready in case I call in sick. And as I thought about it this week, the only Sunday that that's really happened was Elaine's last Sunday that I called in that morning saying I wasn't going to be able to make it. Other than that, I'd usually give them some good warning so that they can prepare. But you know, they are ready to do that because they take the word of God seriously. You know, when it comes to teaching, there are some differences in terms of focus that we need to look at. There's just as many warnings about teaching that we find in the Bible as well. I think most of us can think of James 3. Um, I don't know if I've got that one on there or not. I didn't, okay. Where not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged for greater strictness. 
Now, I think people take this verse and they combine it to other verses in the Bible that talk about how there's greater judgment for those who lead, who shepherd or pastor and things like that. And they use these verses as excuses of, well, I don't want to step into that role because I don't want to be great, ju- judged greater. You know, so they just stay complacent within their faith. Or I don't want to become a church member because then I'm going to be asked to serve in different ways. So I just attend. But you see, the Bible talks about the opposite of that as well, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But you know, teachers have had a special role in the church. In Paul's time, he calls out teachers quite a bit. You know, you think of 1 Corinthians 12, they're third in the list. He says, and first God gave the apostles, second he gave the prophets, third he gave teachers. Here's just a list of some scriptures that talk about teaching and the importance behind that. Teachers' functions then appear in the Bible to be preserving, transmitting, expounding, applying, interpreting the Gospels, their traditions, along with the Jewish Scriptures. The teachers were specialists in trying to drive home the Christian norms and values to the churches, things that the people needed to abide by. Teachers were also to have the same conduct in what they were teaching. A couple of references for this. John 13, we talked about it a little bit last week, Jesus washing the feet. But he says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am, or for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I look at this passage and I want to go back and focus on James 3. Not many of us should be called to be teachers. The importance of practicing what you preach. You know, teens have a, an uncanny sense to pick up on this, calling adults hypocrites all the time. Why are you telling me not to smoke? You smoke all the time. Why are you telling me not to do this? You told, you told me a story yesterday how you did this when you were little. You know, they pick up on that, that lovely phrase that we sometimes like to say, do as I say, not as I do. 
Probably not the most biblical thing to think of, huh? But you know, the Bible, even if we get apprehensive about teaching because of passages like this, the Bible is also explicit to say that we should not be complacent in our faith, that we shouldn't avoid such roles. Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I love the book of Hebrews because it's so hard-hitting. It puts things right in front of you that you need to address. And I look at this passage, and it tells me that teaching should fall on the shoulders of everyone as they mature. You know, as I said about leadership before, maybe it's a passage like this where people say that they, well, then I don't want to mature because then I'd have to teach. I'll just stay right where I'm at in my faith. I don't want to be that member of the church because they might ask me to serve more. You know, it's a selfish mindset that keeps us babies in our faith. No matter how much knowledge we have, it doesn't matter. It's just knowledge. How are we using it? How are we passing that knowledge on to the next generation? You know, in my life, I, I've grown since I've become a pastor for sure. But the most growth that I've experienced in my faith is when I was leading a small group. Um, I was probably a Christian for about four or five years at that time. You know, so was I completely mature? Nope. I was a 25 or 26-year-old, and I still had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. But yet, here I am, Lord, ready to serve you. Did the 25-year-old me make mistakes? Yeah. Will I be judged for it? Yeah. Does the 40-year-old me make mistakes? No, I'm past all that. Will I be judged for it? Absolutely. Because I'm not the standard. I'm not the end-all be-all. He is. And as we shepherd, as we teach, we teach to his standards, not our own. We teach what the word of God says. And we have to understand that, yes, we're going to screw up. We're going to make mistakes. But that, sh that fear should not keep us from doing what we're called to do to mature in the faith, and then teach others what we have learned. As we mature, we gain a better knowledge of him. You know, and I've, I've come to, to more and more of this type of awareness that as we are each here today, we're here for a purpose, for a time, to where as we are together, we are to build each other up. You know, God might call us in different directions in the future, whether that's me going to a different ministry, whether that's you to a different church, to a different city as you move, different things. But for this time for here, we are called a body, and we equip and we build each other up. We rejoice as others rejoice. We mourn as others mourn. 
You know, I've had to learn this early on through youth ministry where you see mandatory turnover every four years. The kids graduate and they leave youth ministry. They go out into the real world and then they come back because they've done some things that they shouldn't have done and they're asking for guidance and they're wanting some help and, and, I, and I help them, but I realized very quickly I can't fix all of their problems. They can't just keep coming back to me. They have to go to Christ. So I began to pray for others to come into their lives to help them along the way as they're growing, to help shepherd them where I couldn't. And honestly, the move from Ohio to here really kicked that into overdrive for some of those kids that were in their young 20s at the time. Because I couldn't just, yeah, let's go get lunch. I mean, I could still talk to them on the phone, but I can't be there in that same way. So I had to pray for people to come into their life. You know, when a, when a pastor tries to fix everything for everybody, when they get in that mindset that only they can shepherd well or only they can teach the right things, it, it becomes an arrogant mindset that divides rather than unites. So as weird as it might sound, part of my prayer for you is that I'm not your only source of teaching. For instance, we have each other. One thing I love about this church is I don't have to do Sunday school. I don't have to teach every Bible study. I don't have to be involved in every ministry because you all can use the gifts that God has given you to help build up and encourage. And, you know, if I'm the only voice that you hear, it's just natural. You, it's like a parroting type of thing to where you then begin to mimic what I say or do where we need to have a different variety of voices speaking into our lives. Now, obviously, we live in an age of infinite resources, and I understand not all of them are good. But look at this passage again in verse 14. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We need to use the discernment that we have through the materials that we're going through. I mean, I'll read from some people that I know that are solid, and I find things that I disagree with. I'm sure there's probably a few things I've said from the pulpit that you all disagree with. That's okay, because we're working together and we're growing through that. That's the ironing, sharpening iron thing, to where as we're growing, we're going to grow together. And that's a beautiful picture of a church, to where when you have different ministries in a healthy church, you're going to have the load that's spread out in terms of leadership, where many people are coming alongside using the gifts that they've been given for the Lord to serve Him. When you just have the same people doing things over and over and over again in ministry, you experience burnout. People get tired of it. People just want to quit. You know, and, and you look at the statistics, there's not a lot of statistics for lay leaders, more so for full-time ministry type of people. The last statistic that I had read was 10 years is the average length of term for pastor in terms of in ministry, then they just leave ministry altogether. If you recall before, I said, normally a senior pastor or lead pastor will be at a church for four years. It takes about seven for their vision to kind of kick in and for the culture to go in the direction that they've been preaching and teaching on. 
Um, but a senior pastor stays for about four, and then they move on to another ministry. You look at youth ministry, it's about a year and a half. Length of stay is on average. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot within that. There's just a lot within all of that in terms of ministry and those focuses. In case you're wondering, I'm in my 12th year of being a pastor, and I'll be completing my fifth year here at Harvest. So, <laughs> thank you, Noah. <laughs> it's always good when you get encouragement from your own son. But, you know, as I look at this list of offices, I would say in my life that God has called me in the role of teaching and shepherding. You know, I, as I've looked at the different offices, um, you know, based on the type of ministry that you're serving in, offices can look a little bit different. There have been aspects in my times of serving that I thought that I have done really well. And then there's aspects where I think I need to improve. I shared one of those last week during the annual meeting. And my prayer for this year, again, is to improve in that area. Um, I've always viewed my time of ministry, whether I was a youth pastor, whether I was a senior pastor, um, as a way to equip the people of God to go do the charges that God has given. That's my philosophy or my approach to ministry. Other pastors have different styles. They have different things. But that's where a lot of what I say comes from. I come from the standpoint that you all are professing Christians. So I'm moving into more solid food. You know, I don't, I don't get into the games of who's saved and who's not saved. That's God's business. If you're telling me that you're professing Christian, I have expectations. There's charges, there's commissions within the word. I'm going to drive and I'm going to push, I'm going to encourage us to fulfill those things. That's what I view, that's what I view that God has called me to do. Because we all have different ministries that we need to be a part of. Whether that ministry is taking care of your children, raising them in the way that they should go. Whether that ministry is in your workplace because you've been given gifts and talents from the Lord to be light within that area. Whether that, whether that ministry is something here within these four walls. We need to be focused on nurturing, caring, and guiding those that have been put underneath us for this time to draw them closer to the Lord. You know, we need to be discipling our youth teaching what we know, what we have learned through the years, passing that down to the next generation. It's a high calling. It's something that we need to all be on board with. Our motivations, our goals need to be centered on what God has called us for, not our own selfish ambitions. Because in the end, like we read in 1 Peter today, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's what we need to be about. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to go through this series, as we continue to unpack how you have gifted the church in so many different ways, Lord, we are just so grateful. We're grateful for the ministries that we've been a part of in our lives, how you have used us to serve you, to bring glory to you, to advance your kingdom forward. 
and we pray for the upcoming days, months, and years. Lord, that we can still have an open heart to be used by you. We pray for the different ministries that we have within this body. Lord, so many times, ministry happens face-to-face, over a phone call, over lunch or dinner. It's not an organized program or a specialized event. But Lord, it's that one-on-one where we get to be the arms and feet of Christ. Equipping the body, equipping the saints to be united in our understanding of the good news, sharing the gospel message, being light in a world of darkness. Lord, you have prepared us, you have equipped us, you have given us knowledge. Lord, give us the boldness to step forward in faith, to go where you call us to, to be, to speak to those who need to hear your truth. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for sending your son. Lord, I pray for those in our lives that don't know you. Lord, would your spirit prick their hearts? Would you use us to share your love? Lord, I thank you for this body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.